Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. We are still in the season of Lent, the fourth Sunday uh, in the season of Lent. And and we are doing all the Old Testament texts, and it... um, seems to have come time and again back to this place where we find ourselves talking about Moses and Moses preparing the people to be in the promised land. Well, today we finally go across the river and we're in the promised land. But today we're also going to uh, examine and discuss uh, the ramifications of all of that wilderness wandering that happened. Truth of the matter is, here we are in the season of Lent, 40 days... And then a few Sundays, but 40 days of preparation that is based uh, somewhat loosely on the wandering around in the desert and in Christ's uh, temptation out on the wilderness. Both of those seasons, the wandering of the people of God for 40 years, Jesus being tempted out in the wilderness, both of those should be understood as seasons of preparation, preparation. The season of Lent is a season of preparation. Now, we do a lot of looking in the mirror, and we should. We should. It's the right thing. A lot of looking in the mirror during the season of Lent, and I am saying to you, week in and week out, week in and week out, you've got to cut away, cut away, cut away the dead weight. Cut away. um, And and I've used this particular image, this this movie, 1986 movie, The Mission, where Robert De Niro plays Mendoza, who is guilty of terrible, terrible things. And his priest, Jeremy Irons, suggests that what you got to do is you need to package up your sins, the tools of your sins, and carry them around with you as penance. And so he drags them everywhere. You see him dragging them through the river here. But finally, he gets to this place when the very people he has wronged forgive him. And they cut away his bundle and it goes tumbling down into the water below and this was his reaction and and I want that to be someone's reaction today I want someone to recognize that when we read these very important scriptures and something like this has said the disgrace of your past has now been rolled away from you I want someone to hear echoes of the the verse that says something like this that God separates you from your sins as far as the east is from the West, and I want there to be somebody in the room today that says, I need to be separated from the person that I have been. I need to be separated from my sins. I need to be separated from the reputation that I built because I am that sinful person. And if John, if you're telling me today that this God has the capacity to see me as something other than my sins, if you're telling me today that I can be separated from those sins, I'm going to receive that as good news. You're in luck, there is that good news. You can absolutely be separated from your sins. I can promise you that the God of the universe has in mind that God would see you as something other than the mistakes you have made. And all God's people said, amen, that is really, really good news and not the end of the sentence. It is true. It is true, and and a lot of times it feels pretty good, and sometimes we do just stop right there and say, okay, let's stand and be dismissed and leave here knowing that you are no longer seen as your sins, for your sins. You are no longer seen by God as that guilty person who, sometimes we just stop right there, and sometimes that's okay. Today, we say that. God has rolled away from you the disgrace of your former way of life comma, and there's more. Kind of like, like there's more in a season of Lent. If we get to the end of the season of Lent and all you are is convinced of your guilt, we haven't finished the sentence. If in your Christian life you spend 100% of your energy not being bad or 100% of your energy being forgiven for being bad, and it stops right there, you need to save some energy for what's next. It is that. It's more than that. Comma, and. Not comma, 
but as if somehow that first part's not true, but comma, and. You see, the season of Lent, historically, the origin story of Lent, is that it was a season of preparation for those who would be baptized. But baptism, in and of itself, is not a destination. <laughs> it's an embodied, family-wide testimony that there is more life to live, and this more life that I have to live will be lived against the backdrop of this story and within this group of people known as the people of God because I live now as evidenced by my baptism, having died with Christ, having been raised with Christ, I realize now that my life is not my own. I am in someone else's story. Oh, that was another good place for an amen. That's okay. Stay with me. Stay with me. And so this season of Lent, whether or not you're going to be baptized, and by the way, some of you are. A couple of you have said, I would like to be baptized during the season of Easter, and we're going to. Is it the, the first Sunday after Easter? We're going to have a baptism service. If you would like to be baptized, or we also have a ritual for those who want to remember their baptism in a ceremonial sort of way. If you want to do that, let us know. We, we are aching to do that <laughs> with you and for you. The book of Joshua is, um, you've heard me say this all the time, the book of Joshua, I've got passages of scripture, it seems like I have a new favorite one every week, right? Okay, just to kind of settle things, the book of Revelation is my favorite book, I just love it, love it. I have other verses that are really important to me, Isaiah 58, somewhere in there. The book of Joshua may be my least favorite book. <laughs> and it's because it, it requires something more than a cursory read. Dr. Bratcher, you can't just read the book of Joshua because if you just read the book of Joshua, a few times during the book you're going to go, what was God thinking and that God doesn't look like this God named Jesus. The book of Joshua is a challenge for me. Challenge for me. And, and let me say, somebody said to me, Pastor, I hate when you advertise in a sermon. I'm really sorry. But here's a quick advertisement. This is why classes like Disciple are so important. I said this in my Sunday school class. Your faith is at risk if you read poetry as if it's history. But your faith is also at risk if you read history as if it's poetry. Because there's some stuff in there you have to figure out how to read in our Disciple classes. And so many of our Sunday school classes are equipped with people who can help you to know how to read the different kinds of literature that we have that make up this Bible that we adore. The book of Joshua, I don't adore. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a challenge for me, but I do get what's being said today. But in order to make the point with the verses that we have read today, in order to make the fuller point, we have to do a little connect the dots, and I have to talk to you a little bit more about what's going on in the book of Joshua. So we were in Deuteronomy for a while, and at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. In the first chapter of Joshua, God says to Joshua, okay, you're next, and you're going to take the people and lead the people into the promised land. That's where you have this verse, be strong and courageous. I'm going to go with you wherever you go. Now, he does say this, make sure you keep this law nearby. Don't wander away from it from the left or to the right. Make sure you keep it nearby. Make sure it is your guiding principle because this is how you will stay in relationship with me. This is how you'll be my people this is how we will live together. Chapter two, Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> so they send some spies to Jericho, this fortified city, and, and Rahab the prostitute says, yeah, come on in. We've heard about you guys, and says to the spies, come on in. We're, we're kind of concerned about you all out there because we are hearing that God is with you all. Please save my family. And so the spies say, okay, if you'll tie a red, a crimson cord in your window, and have all of your family in there, we will spare you when we're sacking the rest of the city. In chapter three, the people, kind of like they did the Red Sea, they cross another body of water, this time the Jordan River, and as they cross it, they enter into the promised land. It's really a big, big, big deal. Chapter four, they actually uh, take some stones so God piles up the water up the river. 
piles up the water so all the people walk across on dry land, but they take some stones from the bed of the Jordan River and they set up this monument. They set up this monument on the other side of the river. <laughs> this is great stuff. And here is what it said to them in the future. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? Here's what you should say. Okay. Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. And then they say it again. They say, okay, but here's the thing. Make sure, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until it crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we crossed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In other words, remember these stories and remember to tell these stories. Man, we said that a lot this Lenten season. Remember to remember. Don't forget to remember. And as you tell these stories, tell them in ways that inspire people to stay in, stay involved, and hear this, stay obedient. And stay obedient. And then you have chapter 5. Um, now there are, I'm really glad it's not Kids Sunday, because there's a cringeworthy moment or two in Joshua chapter 5, another reason I'm not super thrilled with the book of Joshua, because as it turns out, according to the first part of chapter 5, the people of Israel, as they wandered, were disobedient. They stopped being the people of God in so many ways. Though God continued to care for them and maintain God's promise for them, the land, and God stayed in covenantal posture with them, though they would wander away from God and wandered for a long time, they were no longer the people marked by God. And there's another way to say that. They no longer circumcised anybody because that was the mark of God. The mark that would distinguish this people from another people. The mark that would distinguish the people of God as the people of God. They wandered around for so long, hear this, all of the warriors who remembered captivity back in Egypt, they wandered around for so long, they all died. They all died. All of them. And so you have this whole new crop of people, this whole new crop of men, this whole new crop of warriors, but now you have all these people right here, right here, now in the promised land, ready to launch into this effort of being the people of God, but they were not marked as the people of God. And so in the first part, in the first part of chapter 5, all of them, all of the warriors, they go somewhere else. Grown men, they go somewhere else and they're all marked with circumcision somewhere else. Again, with the message being loud and clear, okay, now again, you are my people. You wandered around for a long time. You didn't do well. I cared for you when you were not loyal to me. When you practice infidelity, God said I was practicing fidelity. Through all of that, I stayed with you and still brought you to this place. You did finally cross the River Jordan. And though you haven't been people marked, now you are my people as evidenced by the mark. And scripture says this. I think it's a hysterical line. And it goes something like this. And then they had to heal for a while. Well, yes, I'm sure they did. <laughs> and then God outlines a very important series of steps by which they would not just commemorate the day, but rehearse their posture. It's a really important line. The rituals the rituals that we undertake as the people of God. We aren't in those rituals just commemorating a moment. We are, but it's more than that. We are commemorating the moment, hopefully, hopefully discovering sacred sacramental moments, but we're also rehearsing a posture. This is where we pick up our verses. Okay. You are marked. You again can demonstrate, even physically, that you are my people. Today, and here's that part we talked about right at the beginning, I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. Gilgal means wheel. So it's easy to see here that something gets rolled away, and here it is. This is where God separates the people from 
the people that they used to be. No longer are you the slaves. No longer are you the former slaves. You are the people of God, ready to settle the land that God promised as an inheritance to you. You are ready to take up residence in these lands and be the located people of God. Oh, that's good news. It's good stuff. They didn't separate the Passover. They didn't celebrate the Passover either, but now they're asked to do this, to remember the stories, that they're not just commemorating the moment, they're rehearsing posture, a posture of obedience and fidelity. Let's remember and celebrate what God has done and what God has been for us so that we can now live in grateful response lives of fidelity. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho and they celebrate Passover, the Jewish people do, and during this time every year since. Okay, and then comes a very important part that I believe is an interpretive lens that helps us to read all of the book of Joshua, and it's this very odd scene. So right after they go through the verses that are actually our preaching text today, they do these things, the manna stops, you're no longer wanderers in need of manna, you are now located and settled in the promised land, and so eat the food. It's been cultivated and grown here. You are now farmers. You you are now citizens here, so eat all this food. You don't need the manna as if you were wandering people anymore. You are marked as my people who live here now. Live accordingly. In other words, they, they heard this from God all along. They heard this. And see if this is familiar to you. God's mind about the people of Israel, God's mind about them was made up. God is on their side. God was on their side. God is still on their side. God claims God's people. God is on our side. That's another good place for an. Okay, God is on our side. But then this commander of the army of the Lord shows up. (laughs) Joshua looks up, and he saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you one of us? Or one of our adversaries, pretty sure Joshua also had his hand on his sword, ready to go, right? The man said, neither. In fact, probably what he meant was, wrong question. Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So when asked the question, hey, are you on our side or not? asked Joshua. The commander of the army of the Lord said, I'm not taking your side, but Joshua, I would like to know whose side you're on. Man, the people of God have this terrible way of doing this, and again, especially during this season. Everybody claims that God is on his or her side. Have you noticed that? I'm telling you every Sunday, I'm telling you every Sunday, hear me, I'm telling you every Sunday, and, and I hope, hopefully you're writing it down in ink, God is on your side, God has chosen for you, in fact, I don't know if this is a good question anymore, is God on our side? No, God is on your side, the better question is, are you on God's side? The commander of the army of the Lord shows up. Joshua takes the very typical believing posture, hand on sword, and says, okay, stranger, friend or foe, God, are you on our side or not? God's response is, through this commander, that's a dumb question. The question is, are you on my side, says God? Because the book of Joshua indicates that we're still not quite sure if the people of God are actually on God's side. Very important exchange here. Neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth in worship, and he said to him, what do you command your servant, my Lord? So this is good, this is good. This is Joshua saying, okay, I get it, God. It was a terrible question. I want to be on your side. What do you want me to do? The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, okay, You're in a very special place. You're in a sacred place. You're on holy ground. And so remove your sandals for the place where you stand is holy. And this is a very important line. This is not a throwaway line. This is a very important line here. And Joshua 
did so. In other words, Joshua said, whatever you want, I'll do. Joshua obeyed God. Okay. I think this is very simple, but at least in my life, it has some deep meaning. Hear hear me now. People of God, you and I, we need to be obedient to God. It is good, no, it is great, it is life-giving when we can say to one another and rehearse for one another the stories that allow us to understand that God has in fact, in the hugeness of God's heart, forgiven us and separated us from our sins and even the ramifications, the eternal ramifications of our sin as far as the east is from the west, but the story and the sentence doesn't end there. Now, Obey. Listen, if your sin is sexual in nature, stop it. Be forgiven. If your sin is theological in nature, if you're a rank legalist, if you're a fundamentalist, stop and receive the forgiveness of God. If your sin is fraud, if you have embezzled funds, if your sin is pornography, if your sin is lying, if your sin is theft, stop and receive the forgiveness of God that separates you from your sins as far as the east is from the west. And then be different. It's a little bit of a theological discussion we're having here now, okay? The height of faith is not just that we would be forgiven for our sins. It's really good. It's that we would be changed into Christ-likeness. And the forgiveness of our sins is, in fact, part of that, but lots of people stop right there. Lots of people are satisfied just to have been forgiven, relieved of the consequences of my sins, at least the eternal consequences. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace. I'm going to claim the forgiveness, but not the responsibility that comes with it, the new life that comes with it. Sinners, like me, Lent is a time to draw targets on those places of sin in our lives. (laughs) But as we do those things, as we draw those targets of sin on our lives, the end game here is not just that we would be forgiven for those things, as good as and important as that is, it's that we would stop doing those things and be saved and salvaged for the life that God dreams for us. Hey, we are not just saved from something. We are saved for something. Book of Joshua, back to that. Okay, chapter one, Joshua takes the baton. Chapter two, Rahab the prostitute says, okay, save us, please. Chapter three, they finally get across the River Jordan and they're in the promised land. Chapter four, they set up the monument. They set up the monument. Now, when your children ask, here's what you should say to them. God helped us. And God is asking us to commit to this covenant partnership by being faithful and obedient. And in chapter 5, they do these things. They, they start to eat of the, the, the fruit of the field, and they say, okay, we are the located, established people of God. We are going to be the tangible, touchable expression of God in human form. And in chapter 6, the walls come a-tumbling down. Now, interestingly, when they go marching, when they go marching around Jericho, one time a day until the seventh day when they did it seven times. They enter first, this is really important. They enter first, not as a military outfit, but as a worshiping community. No, not, not, okay. I would submit to you that it's still important for the people of God 
who have in mind that it would be a good thing if we could advance the kingdom. That would be a, amen, that's a good thing, right, to advance the kingdom. We do so best when we are first and foremost a worshiping community. God fights for us. God fights for them. And God wiped out the walls. According to scripture, they tumbled all the way down to the ground flat, flat. And the people do, in fact, go in, and they win. Now, we can talk another time about why this story may actually be disconcerting. But here, this is what you're supposed to hear today. They were obedient. They weren't just separated from their past. They had fully leaned into their present and their future by being the faithful and the obedient covenant partners of God, and God, sure enough, goes with them, and nothing stands in their way. Nothing, nothing, nothing. When the people of God are not only separated from their sins, but when the people of God lean into the covenant partnership with God and are people of faith and obedience and fidelity, hear this, nothing stops us because it's God's mission and God's movement until we mess it up. Chapter 7. You see disobedience on display. So you had great obedience on display in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Having won this incredible victory, stupid Achan goes and he gathers some silver and gold and he hides it when he had been told, he'd been told expressly, do not do this. But Achan did it anyway. And Achan guides the people in the wrong direction. Now after winning this incredible battle, this incredible battle, they can't win a skirmish in the next chapter, and God comes to Joshua and says, here's why. I asked you whose side you were on, and you said you're on my side, which lasted for a day, a battle. And then you left my side. And when you leave my side, you can't win. Hey, church. If we leave God's side, we can't win. How about this? History is pretty clear. As we have left God's side, we haven't won. Two thousand sixteen. We are unstoppable as long as God fights for us and we participate in the mission and the purposes of God by our faithfulness and our obedience. Two thousand sixteen. When the people of God and look around, there's evidence. When the people of God leave the side of God even if they're still calling it godly. When the people of God leave the side of God, defeat is in their immediate and their far future. We're we're left kind of with a question, actually, at the end of chapter 7. Man, what's it going to be? The question of the commander of the army of the Lord is relevant. It's relevant. The question is not, hey God, will you finally still, will you finally be on our side? That's not the question. It's not the question. God is on our side. The better question is, are we, am I, are you on God's side? See, because we're not just trying to cut away the badness. We're trying to be reorganized for the goodness, for the purposes, for the dream of God. Lent, Lent is not 40 days worth of conviction for conviction's sake. And by the way, forgiveness is not just forgiveness for forgiveness' sake but we are being prepared to be the people of God. The gospel text this week um, is the parable of the lost son. This is Rembrandt's rendition of the parable of the lost son. I love this picture. It hangs in my office. And as you can tell, this is 
the father figure with his hands on the back of the repentant lost son, younger son, finally having come home. And then you can kind of see in the shadows there to the right the disapproving older son. (laughs) And if you read the parable, you see something really interesting. The, The lost son who's been outside comes inside, and we still have questions about him, but the lost son who's been outside comes inside, but the oldest son who's always been inside seems to walk outside. And there are questions that hang in the air at the end of this parable. I think sometimes we tell this parable, and because we're so addicted to 30-minute shows or hour-long shows with a happy ending, we sort of supply the happy ending at the end of this particular show, but it doesn't, it's not there. Because what we're left with at the end of this parable are some hanging questions that we all have to consider and, and I guess, ask and answer. Because we don't know about the younger son. Hey, if you're a prodigal here today and you've come home and you have experienced the celebration of your coming home and your forgiveness, God be praised. Welcome home. Now what? Because that's not the end of the sentence where your life and your life of faith is concerned. You aren't forgiven just so we can kill another fatted calf. You're forgiven and restored so that you can be a son in the family, ongoing. And if you're the older son, and there's plenty of us here today, the jury, according to the parable, is kind of still out on us too. Turns out God is not just after our behavior modification. God is not just after our good behavior. It turns out God wants to know if we're in, if we're in or not. The father clearly articulates, boys, younger son, older son, the father clearly articulates, I'm on your side. What we don't know is if the sons will remain at the side of the father. told you this and, and been trying to do this, kind of ran out of time last week. Um, this book's been formative for me, Desiring the Kingdom. James K.A. Smith says, we're always being liturgized towards something. There's all kinds of different liturgies that we participate in. Sometimes we know it and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we are, we are shaped to be shoppers, is what is the example that he uses most famously. And he suggests in this book and in the next one that we need different liturgies. We need different liturgies that will shape us back toward God's dream for the, for the people of God so that we, be, we can be something more than just forgiven. <laughs> so that we can be active. Hey, let's fast a meal on Friday. You choose the meal, but don't just skip a meal, okay? If you're going to fast the meal... Spend that time praying, and if you don't mind, I'd like to give you something to pray. Especially if you understand yourself to be forgiven or freed, I'd like for you to pray this prayer. God, as a person forgiven or freed, help me understand, freed for what? Freed for what? Let this be your prayer. Now what? John's not very poetic, actually. We were hoping for something that rhymed and was more beautiful than that. But I don't know if we have a prayer more important than that. God, having been freed and forgiven. By the way, you're freed and forgiven. Now what? What happens if you set aside some time and you pray that prayer? Freed for what? What if, what if you rehearsed in your mind this scene, this man, this commander of the army of the Lord striding up to you, sword drawn. (laughs) Sometimes we are the people who ask, 
God? Are you on our side or not? When in reality, God wants to ask us, hey, church, are you on my side or not? Yesterday, I went to a funeral. It was the father of one of Drew's basketball teammates um, who died well before he should have. It was tragic. And at several different points along the way in the funeral, a very good question was asked. Hear, Hear this. A very good question was asked. Here was the question. People still alive in the congregation, have you made the decision that secures your eternity? Because this would be a very good time to make that decision. Because as you can see, you just never know. You just never know. Hear me say, I think it's a good, it's a good question. And perhaps every moment is a good moment to make a decision to follow. And, and. Not just for your eternity's sake, but for your Monday's sake. Absolutely. And my hope is that there were tons of people who stayed after the funeral and found somebody to talk to and and prayed through. There's something we don't say a whole lot. They prayed through and, and were able to make the decision, make the decision that does have something to say because you know this, right? The decisions that you make today do have something to say about your eternity. And, and, make the decision to be on God's side, whatever that means, for Monday. Because God wants your eternity, for sure. But God wants to know whose side you're on today. Because you aren't just forgiven and freed from. You are forgiven and freed for. If you're helping us today, would you please come and gather? Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, God, and remind us as we partake, as we participate, remind us, God. Just like the bread, it is your hope that we would understand ourselves to be taken, blessed, broken, and given. God, remind us as we eat and drink that we are not just celebrating our forgiveness. Remind us to celebrate our forgiveness week in and week out. God, help us to celebrate our being forgiven as evidence by the broken body and the shed blood. Broken body and shed blood of the one who continues to invite us back to this table. Remind us also, Lord, that it's not just forgiveness that we celebrate here. Remind us that we are not just forgiven and freed from something, but that we are forgiven and freed for your purposes worked through our lives. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left and to come forward. Come forward with your hands cupped to receive these tangible elements of the grace and the hospitality and the forgiveness of God, just know that it doesn't stop right there, that these elements are also meant to shape you for whatever's next. And I can promise you something's next. Something's next. You'll be handed a piece of bread and someone will will take a piece of bread, break it off and press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you can even hear it right then and there. This same God loves me and forgives me though I am the one doing the breaking. (laughs) Don't eat the bread just yet though. Dip it into the cup, the cup held right there. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. You can hear the love. You can hear the forgiveness in it even then then take and take and eat
After that, go find a place to pray. If you would like to pray <clears throat> for forgiveness, someone will meet you over here or over here to pray that prayer of forgiveness and to use the oil, symbolic of the presence, the sticky presence, the spirit in your life. And you can pray for all kinds of situations there, physical and mental, emotional, theological, relational, all kinds of wounds are welcome and all are opportunities for healing. And then there are these other altars and they are available to you as well for any kind of prayer and what you'll find is that you do not pray alone here. At some point during the prayer, someone will touch you and will be for you the tangible expression, the solidarity of God. companionship of God. Who can come? Well, everyone can come. All of those, every last one of you, every last one who is aware of his or her need for grace, that's all it takes. You are qualified to come to this table. If you're aware that you need the grace of God, and if you're living and breathing, you should be aware welcome to come. If you can't come to us, then Jason and Katie will make their way to you. It was on the night that he was portrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later after dinner, he took the cup held it up before them and he said and this is my blood the blood of the new covenant every time you drink of it remember me and now all across the sanctuary all those in need of a reminder of your forgiveness from but also your forgiveness and freedom for all of you are now welcome so stand exit your pews to the left come forward and receive the gifts of grace gifts of God for the people of God.
altars remain open if you are in need of that prayer for healing we have folks ready at any point during this prayer time folks are ready and you are certainly welcome to come at any point to find a place to pray and someone will come and pray with you I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession of intercession and we will close with the Lord's Prayer today. Heavenly Father, we confess. We confess today, Lord, that um, there are some of us who struggle to know that we can be separated from our sins or separated from a sinful lifestyle. For these that are in the room with us today, Lord, would you remind us of the power of forgiveness and the power that is yours alone to separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. Using today's language, Lord, help these folks to know that the disgrace of a past life has been rolled completely away. Father, we confess, too, that there have been times when even as we have accepted and celebrated this forgiveness, we have forgotten to, to ask what was next. There have been times when we have reduced our faith and our Christianity to the freedom from something, and we've left the other questions unasked. God, help us ask the question of what's next give us enough grace to wonder what it is that we have been freed for I want to be out of the way here for a second to allow for you to ask that very question God understanding myself is forgiven and you are freed for what for folks folks in our midst who are sick or hurt ask that God would come alongside and heal to pray for Lynn Caprera to pray for Debbie McKenzie to pray for Ken Hardy for that person that you know that perhaps no one else here would know that person who was suffering isolated you pray God's healing touch in that situation as well shape us to be your people a living breathing expression tangible expression of grace and hospitality here in the middle of the city continue to teach us the power of disagreeing Christianly continue to teach us the power of freedom and forgiveness but don't stop there Lord help us to know what it is that we have each of us and all of us to know what it is that we've been freed to or freed for. 
In other words, Lord, help us to be the people who don't just pray these words, but people who finally live into and up to the words, the prayer that Christ taught his disciples. These words will be on the screen in front of you, and we will close our time together by praying the Lord's Prayer using the language of debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.